Welcome to the Word Weaver podcast, a literary place in cyberspace where I share tangible tips, tricks, and words of wisdom to help you achieve your dream of writing a book. I'm your host, Louise Johnson, a writer and the author of Behind the Red Door. Let's dive into today's chapter. Well, welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. We have Liz Hawk with us today, the author of Homemade, a story of grief, groceries showing up, and what we make when we make dinner. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be here, Louise. It's I tried to find the longest subtitle possible. So. Mine is just as long too. So I even have to read my own off of the book. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the order of letters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is really cool. It feels very full circle and nostalgic for me because the last time we saw each other was six years ago in a writing our nonfiction writing class. And then our books come out six years later, kind of a month apart. So I feel very like, honored that I get to talk to you during your launch period and reconnect. And it's a really cool feeling. Yeah, no, me too. I was thinking the same. The last time we saw each other, we were giving each other feedback on our proposals. Yeah. And the wild, so I pre-ordered homemade, devoured it. No food pun intended there. (laughs) I'm sure you're getting a lot of food puns. Getting a lot of food puns. (laughs) But I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying them. It's too easy. I just rolled off the tongue there. But it's, it was so cool for me. I mean, I cried at the end. It was so emotional. But even reading, was Movable Feast, that chapter, part of the class? Yes. Yep. So you read, exactly. So, um, you know, essentially after I sold the book, um, one of the kind of big things that happened in the editing process was what I had written as a collection of essays um, became this memoir, right? So essentially I had to take a seam ripper to the sides of each of the essays and write it so that, um, so that it read through. So Movable Feasts, you read from the beginning, which started, um, which starts with movable feast, but then also it included what was the, the kid who I call Wesley's like last dinner as well was how that one, you know, kind of ended. So yeah. the, the chapter that you read had really all of the birthdays and the whole arc mm-hmm. of the importance of birthdays. And then in the book, you would have recognized, right, different paragraphs that were, you know, put back in chronological order and then movable feasts, which exists, which was you know, maybe, maybe 70% of the, the essay that you read. That is so cool. I was wondering that because there were other paragraphs where I was like, I remember Leon, I remember this part, but it wasn't in, and I remember that was the title you brought to class was movable, movable feast. So that was really cool for me. Cause it was like deja vu brought me right back. And so cool six years later that it's part of this memoir, which is absolutely incredible so firstly huge congratulations on the success it's so exciting penguin random house how for i before we kind of go back into the whole publishing process and diving into writing craft which is my favorite thing to talk about how does it feel this was published june 2021 a month ago how are you feeling post-launch yeah um i i feel good it's such a strange thing i mean i think I speak I I can't speak for you as I'm like I think I speak for you too and I say it's such a strange thing to have a story outside your body and in the world you know um and a story that you've like lived with on your computer you know then strangers are kind of referencing it like you know like like a thing you've already told them when it's like oh this is how you know this you know which is familiarity I think to you know to writing memoir yeah, and that's the difference between publishing a novel first and memoir. It is so personable, personal and vulnerable. So people do feel like they kind of know you, even though it was a part of your life yeah. a long time ago. And I, I want to ask this because my, actually my sister asked me this and she goes, when you launch your book, what is, what does success look like or feel like for you? Is it being a New York Times bestseller? Is it selling X number of copies Or is it just seeing your book on shelf at Barnes and Noble? Like what for you, did you have an expectation of what a successful launch would be? I, well, I, whatever I imagined, it did not involve a pandemic. (laughs) Um, No, 
I think my like <laughs> secret wish for my launch involved um, appearances at like my friends who lived in different cities, favorite bookstores, you know, and doing like a constellation of tiny things um, with familiar people in their like favorite book places. Um, so, so that certainly, you know, hasn't happened. I mean, and who knows, maybe in the paperback version, maybe, um, you know, maybe it's not totally off the table, but the feeling of kind of launching it into the world and like still being seated, like right in my living room. Exactly. Like Probably not quite what I imagined. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. But now, so you're in Boston right now. Mm -hmm. Is the world kind of opening up a little bit there? You can go into bookstores and everything. It is. That's right. So there's not, you know, um, some bookstores are, all bookstores, well, actually, most bookstores, I would say, are open and are open that you can walk in. There are a couple in small towns or, or in smaller places that you have to make an appointment still. Yeah. Um, but most you can walk into and clerks are wearing masks, but but patrons for the large part are not wearing masks. Oh, wow. But I haven't seen yet any in-person events at bookstores here yet. I know. It's such a shame. That's the big thing that we all dream of is yeah. connecting with the readers face to face. Yeah, no, that's right. And and it's different state to state. A friend from, I don't know if you're part of the, are you part of the binders platforms? No. Are, are you are you on Facebook? I know I'm a hundred. No, you're not at all. I am on Facebook. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok or any of those new platforms. So I feel a hundred. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but, um, there's a group, you know, there's a whole platform called Binders, mm -hmm. um, which is for women writers. Oh. Um, and they're, you know, so there are binders full of memoirists, binders building platforms, binders, you know, all of these different subgroups. I don't even know how many there are at this point. I think I'm in four. Um, so I'll, you know, after this, I'll invite you to see. I, it's interesting, especially since you like craft, like some people talk craft questions. Some people talk about like where to pitch things. Um, yeah. Some people have questions you know, first round through about finding agents or dealing with, you know, kind of uh, legal reads. Um, so that, you know, so there's all kinds, you know, it's, there's all kinds of, you know, kind of questions and answers in this, um, you know, in a community of writers. Um, but one of the women who I kind of met through Binders Building Platforms, Ashley Renard, uh, launched her book and was posting pictures of an in-person event with Candace Bushnell last week or two weeks ago. And oh was, my God. That's yeah. so, I know in person. Places, it felt like very um, hopeful that like, okay, in some places this is happening again, you know? Yeah. And it will, as the summer goes into fall, hopefully, do you have plans to do a book tour in the fall? Or you're, it's kind of wait and see. Not yet. It's a little bit. It's a little bit wait and see. I. I mean, I think I will do. I think I will plan to do a few. A few events. I there. I think I'll do a few events. I don't know if it will be like a full fledged tour. You know, uh, but I think I will do a, a few events. You know? Yeah, D doing the digital launch and digital events is definitely. I heard an author friend say she goes. It. It's you feel very coddled. It's a kind of dipping your toe in the launch and you get the feedback from Goodreads or your reviews online and everything. So you kind of have a, an idea of how your book is being perceived, but it's, there's nothing that compares to in-person at all. Ah, well, well, we'll see, right? Will you do yeah. events, do you think? Yep. Same as you. I, I mean, I'm supposed to go to New York and do a tour in September. Oh, wow. Yeah. So doing kind of the whole Elizabeth Arden New York launch yeah. there will be exciting but it's a, a wait and see game Canada is a lot we're more behind in opening everything up so for the foreseeable future it's all digital which has been like you said a unique experience not my favorite but but I mean, at least we'll look back and say yeah exactly that was a unique time to launch a debut yeah yeah, yeah. so I kind of want to backtrack a little bit to right before, like six years ago is when we met, the book you already had as essays. What brought you even to that writing program, that class? And then what has been the journey to publication since then? Was it quick getting a literary agent, getting going on submission to publishers? What was that like for you? 
Sure. Um, well, I was drawn, I took Christina Thompson's How to Write a Nonfiction class with you um, because a friend of mine who had taken it was like, if you're going to write a book, you have to take this class. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I don't know if I tried twice or three. I don't know if I tried, tried twice or three times to get in before I like got into the class. Um, so that was also, you know, additional semesters that I was like getting my, you know, essays in order. So by the time I was taking it, I had, um, I thought I had a whole idea of the shape of the book as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and I had probably, I think I had maybe 23 essays finished. Wow. Um, and then in Christina's class, as you know, but I certainly had no idea about marketing things. You know, I had these essays and sort of the dream that they might be a book. Yeah. Um, and then my purpose in taking the class was to figure out like, okay, I need somebody to tell me this is a book. And also how, how do you, how do you make a book? You know, how, yeah. how, how do and bolts of it. Computer become a book, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so over the course of that class, um, which was a great class, was amazing. Um, both in terms of content and, you know, and in terms of people and range of projects, right? I feel um, so honored to have been in it. That's how yeah, I look back yeah. on it. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I, I feel the same. Taking Christina's class changed my life. I mean, it really changed my life. It changed my hope for a book into the idea that I had a book mm -hmm. um, and left with a query letter with a proposal and with a kind of sense of how to find an agent and um you know and and what the next steps would be you know yeah. it um, took it out of the ether and made it oh tangible I just follow the next step the next thing to do yep that's mm -hmm. exactly right right I had a plan and not only did I yeah. have this kind of um you know this blueprint for what to do next also had these you know also had these I want to say deliverables. They're not really deliverables. What would you say? You know, the, yeah. the, the kind of, you know, the, the query letter, you know, um, deliverables and, is a good word. I still, I love school. So I always use terms like that. <laughs> corporate. It feels very like, um, Christina would not call them deliverables. No. Um, maybe Christina will say it again. Anyway. Um, and so, I also went to Muse in the Marketplace. The oh, yeah. Yep, um, in the spring in Boston, which I think is great. I don't know in how many cities similar things exist, mm -hmm. but I can't recommend those highly enough when people ask me like, how do you write a book if you've never written a book? And if you don't have an MFA and didn't go through a program where you have all of these things. Yeah. Um, and that was also super useful. I had um, met with an agent who gave me feedback, specific feedback on like what she would be looking for, what she saw as strengths, what she would change about the query and about the sample that I, you know, that I gave her to read. Um, and so, gosh, so we were in that class almost like a little over exactly six years ago, right? Yeah. And then that summer I pitched agents yeah. Um, and then by the end of the summer, I had um, the three agents who were interested in working with me. And so mm -hmm. I had, you know, three meetings um, and chosen agent. Um, and then it, I mean, it, it happened very, it happened very quickly. You know, we worked together on my, you know, she asked me to send her my proposal. I sent her my proposal. We um, edited the proposal. And then she was like, you know, I don't want to do too much work on the proposal because depending on which house picks it up, they're going to have a slightly different vision anyway. Mm -hmm. So get it out there, hear who's interested and how they imagine it kind of fitting on their bookshelves and then kind of go from there. And that seems like a good plan to me because I didn't have another plan. You right. Know? Yeah. And uh, you trust the expert in that sense. Yeah. 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 She's done this before. That's right. That's right. Um, and for someone who didn't have a platform, she oh, said, the platform, that I, word. Platform. I hate that buzzword so much. I know, but it's real. The platform, I mean, as you know, I mean, the, the platform is real. Um, mm -hmm. plat the platform and the connections. Um, but the um, as someone without a platform, she was like, you know, you're going to need to send. Now, as I'm talking to you, I don't know if I said, I think I sent three. I don't think I sent four. I think I sent three sample chapters. So yes. along with the proposal, um, I sent, you know, three full chapters. And my my 
proposal was a lot was a long proposal as, mm-hmm. as maybe remember reading it that I yeah. did a full page per you know per chapter because I wanted to and actually Christina told me it wasn't my idea um you know she was like you want to get as much of your voice in the writing in the proposal again 100% as somebody without a platform with and 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 without really a CV of previously published work mm-hmm. um, the proposal and the sample chapters were everything that I was sending was the golden ticket. This is it all. Yeah, exactly. That, that, you know, there, there was no other place they could look for more information on me. So sending it was like, this is, this is what I can do. This is all I have to show you that I can do, but this is what I can do. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, I got three offers. I think I got three offers. Like everything is apparently happened in threes. Um, and then I was essentially, I was initially acquired by um, Flatiron by mm-hmm. Colin at Flatiron. Um, and then when he left Flatiron, um, I remained there with his um, editor his, and colleague, Whitney Frick. Yeah. And then, um, and then over time, again, it's a long, everything happened very quickly and then slowly. That's um, the pro- that's the publishing I, industry. <laughs> publishing and then also I enrolled in a PhD program that fall. Right. Um, and so then going back to school, then, uh, ch- you know, ch- changed my timeline. Um, and I mean, I think my first contract was like, it, this is going to be published in 2017. And I was oh like, my. 2017, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so in terms of, in terms of timelines, um, but then, um, then Wit left uh, Flatiron to launch Dial Press with Penguin Random House or yep. Random House Penguin. And then she, and she took me with her. Um, so eventually cool. that's, my, that's my home press. Yeah. is Dial at Random House Penguin. And then it went through, was it a rigorous editing process with Dial, with your right. editor there? Well, so the the first Whitney, step, yeah. the the first step of that editing process was um, was writing through everything and then submitting what I had. Yeah. Um, so my own kind of editing. Then the the feedback that I got from that was essentially the okay, you have to take a seam ripper to the sides, you know, because I thought you know, initially they were like, okay, it has to be, but you have to be able to read through it so that it's not a book of essays, and I edited that so that I thought that you could read through it and then it went and you know I mean he was still kind of like these are these are still kind of essays like you know you could still kind of close the book and feel comfortable he's like you know we want you want your reader to like not feel like they can close the book you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so then that that was then the next round was um was uh striking out the repetitions that then you know, when they were essayed, the like reintroducing, you know, and I thought I was doing it in like such a careful way so that it was like reminding the reader who we were talking about, you know, whatever, like this is repetitive. And it's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Cutting the fat. <laughs> and it's like how, right, exactly. How to cut the fat while also like acknowledging that, um, you know, one of the things about my story is that there are a lot of kids, yeah. you know, so there are a lot of names, there are a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a suggestion, you know, at some point, like, oh, would you consider um, doing some composite characters? And I was like, I don't want to do composite characters because that's part of the story. Like the repetition in some of these kids' lives is part of the story. And part of the story is, you know, kind of making them into individuals too, you know, and then and part of the story is not having a full story, you yeah. know, so where in writing memoir, um, you know, I found there were some challenges that I wasn't thinking, you know, that the way that I hadn't thought about from, you know, from an editor's perspective, you know, so I had all of these and I'm like, no, I can't do backstory because I didn't know the backstory or you I don't came in at this time. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to kind of lead with um, what I knew at the end about a kid, because then that's not true to like, also the feeling of not knowing, you know, I right. didn't want my reader the sense that like, you know, here's the introduction to, to this kid, like, here's everything you need to know about him. Because, 
you know, I wanted the like discomfort of like, okay, who's this kid and what are we going to find out and how are we going to find out about it, which was truer to, you know, my, my experience. Um, so, you know, part of the editing process was that negotiation. I mean, I would say they were substantial, you know, revisions, you know? Yeah. Well, cause they started as essays and you weren't a part of those. You had a kind of a lens from it. And then you had to really, like you said, put like, take it apart, put it back together in a whole new narrative arc, with, which is a really unique and interesting way to write, I think. So I think that's why I love hearing about every author's journey because it's so different how you get to a finished product or a finished book. Yeah, but, and how, how you kind of make these stories into an object, like you know what you do kind of braiding two different stories um, that it's like, okay, how, did you, did you write them? Did you write one and then the other and then kind of splice them and? No, so I had a similar structure was my biggest issue too with this book. And I never wanted it to feel cliche of the dual storylines. And I also never wanted my story to be weighted equally with Elizabeth Arden's because she's lived through two world wars, the great depression, she is a full life, a narrative arc. And for me, it's a very small part of my life. That was my biggest fear with this book is that it would feel forced. And like, why am I in there? And am I trying to compare myself to this woman who is an incredible legacy and a whole full life? And it was really hard, but I, I wrote them. I didn't write them separately. And initially the first drafts, if you had, you could have pulled each of our chapters out and they would have been two separate books. And that was the biggest issue. So then I'm evolved with a lot of editing and it was a dance, honestly, to get it to the point where I was just there to highlight her story and give it a modern lens of, oh, is this still going on today? And give people that little tweak of relatability versus just here's information dumping, here's history. But, oh, let's think, has that evolved for women in the workplace a hundred years later? Or has it not? How archaic still are we? And I, I think we finally got there. I'm sure, I mean, it's never done. I'm, I could always criti- critique it, but I'm really happy with eventually how it turned out and it's not chapter by chapter. I am kind of the tail end of her stories and there to highlight and put her up on a pedestal more than a Julie and Julia braiding of our stories. But it was very challenging to do. And so I commend you for, it's just so hard. And you wrote the book and you wrote the essays the way you thought they should go. And then to have to go back and rethink it, it's hard for the imagination because you wrote it the way you thought it should be. Well, and it's funny in that sense too, right? Because there are it was kind of freeing when I realized like, okay, actually there's not one right way that this book needs to be written, you yes. know, which is like both frustrating and also freeing. Yes. It's like, so, so this could be a book of essays, but the book of essays then with me, not as a journalist or as a researcher or as a, you know, like then what is that, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you know, and yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think of it as an accidental memoir. Like, I don't think I thought it was a memoir when we were in our nonfiction book class. Like, I think I felt like it was literary nonfiction, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I, yeah, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I thought, and I, and, and that is probably also my own, you know, that was also my own kind of limitation with the familiarity of the genre too, you know? Right. Or yeah, well, that begs the question. That's really interesting because such a big part of the book is the grief aspect. And it's an honestly a tribute to your father and his legacy and your relationship with cooking. And like you said, you became a character in it. So kind of like the act of cooking and the act of writing a book is a very cathartic process. Did you find once it became, you were clear, okay, this is going to be more of a memoir did that writing fusing in the scenes and the memories with your father and you more as the care as a big character did that become a very 
personal and cathartic experience that you weren't expecting. What was it, that like? It, it did. I mean, it did, it became, it became very personal, you know? Um, and I did most of my writing in coffee shops. I don't know where you do most of your writing, but I like, I like the background noise. Mm -hmm. I like, the, and again, this is a pre-pandemic world, right? But yeah, it, it, like the background noise and the, um, you know, fancy coffee drinks and the just kind of atmosphere in terms of like lights and the sparsity of like not looking at something and being like, I should clean this or I actually should be doing this. You no know? distractions. No distractions. Um, but then it's also so strange to be in a public place doing such a private thing, you know, yeah. crying to yourself. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, which I was not expecting that part of the, you know, that it's like, I can't even imagine why I just have to like, not think about what, you know, what anybody who like happens to look over, like must be thinking that I'm like writing this, like, I don't know, like breakup letter. Or <laughs> yeah something you know yeah exactly but yeah you know and then so then that was like very uncomfortable which was then also interesting to be like okay but I have to like sit here and finish this so I literally have to like sit in my own tears and like yeah. through it you know um so in that sense there was this um you know kind of yeah I mean there was kind of an organic catharsis right to like that's so cool writing a story like out of the body and then and then like hammering the words into place, you know, to be, you know, to like make sentences out of it and then yeah. like read it back through sometimes as sentences and then read it back through sometimes like struck by the emotion, you know, yeah. and an interesting thing, I, um, I actually read the audiobook, Um, oh. and so, which was a whole kind of different, you know, so if writing the book was one thing and then marketing the book as like an object is another thing mm -hmm. um, performing the book is Whoa. you know a, a third kind of animal altogether you know and there were you know and of course I went into it thinking like I wrote this I don't have to like pre-read the night before these like, are my words <laughs> exactly, they're my words um that was a mistake but um um, or something, you know, that I learned the first day that maybe it would have been helpful to, but, you know, but then I also like, didn't want, you know, I wasn't going to like sit in my apartment and like practice reading aloud. No. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, you know, so that was, you know, that was, there were, you know, really interesting, um, you know, kind of learning moments from the, you know, I, I had a coach, so I, it, it was still, this was in, um, June, I think it was in May mm -hmm. um, that I did this. And so we were just, we were kind of open. We were opening to the point of, it was fine for me to be in a recording studio, but like the coach was in New York and didn't travel. So then she was like zoomed in, oh, you know, so, so like bizarre in this like phone booth size thing with like my book on somebody else's like, you know, uh, iPad with, you know, this, you know, kind of coach saying like, stop here. You know, when you ask a question, uh, when you, when you ask a question with concern, your intonation should go down. When you ask with curiosity, it should go up. So for example, you know, there's a part where I'm, you know, talking to one of the kids, the kid who I call Frank yeah. um, saying, are you okay? And I would say, are you okay? Yeah. You know, and she was like, it should be, are you okay? Down. <laughs> down inflection. Down inflection for concern, up inflection for curiosity. And I, you know, and I'm like sitting there like, I mean, I, my whole life, I just up inflection for questions. Exactly. That's like, what it is. And the funny thing is she's telling you how to say a quote that you said in real life. That's, that's, that's this isn't how I said it. I said it with the up inflection. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and she was tremendous. I mean, yeah, she yeah, yeah. A very talented coach, and I feel lucky to have worked with her. And I learned so much about, you know, kind of recording, you know, and like pacing, and you know, all of these different things. But there were these, you know, different pieces where it was like, wait, so have I, you know, like what? How are you telling me? Which was a different version, right, of being mm -hmm. edited 
you know, in writing like memoir in the first person where it's like, maybe you mean this. And it's like, but I mean what I said. Exactly. And I I wrote it how I think it, you know? And then it's like, okay, fine. Maybe I need to reconsider how I, you know, how I'm writing what I was thinking, but how do I change the writing without changing the fact of how I was thinking at the time, right? Right. You're writing true stories. Yeah. Change what happened in the past, but you can change the way you're framing you know yeah exactly Um, these little nuances yeah exactly so and then it becomes you know this kind of meta exercise right where you're you know you're the character and the writer and the editor and And the narrator of the narrator so interesting I'm excited I'm gonna have to listen to the audiobook and I want to hear I'm gonna hear your pacing (laughs) not have to listen to the audiobook I Another thing that's interesting about that is that there were places, I think this is why I started to tell you this, where I um, was caught by emotion, like reading out loud, Mm -hmm. like these paragraphs that I've read so many times, Mm -hmm. you know, I've read them so many times and I went in like, this is my book and I like am through this experience and uh, my crying and coffee shop days are done. And then, um, you know, and there were places where you know, where I just, you know, I was like, okay, I don't, I know I can't, you know, I know I'm going to cry. I don't want to cry. I'm just going to pause. And like the, you know, the sound technician, I can see him like kind of looking away while on the computer, while knowing like this, he's like just pausing. And sometimes he'd kind of like look over his shoulder, like, and I'm like, you know, and then it's like, okay, I have to like, you know, at one point he like came in with like three bottles of water and was like, you know, if you, you know, swallow, you know, if you swallow, you know, it makes it uh, harder to cry, you know, so that, you know, there are whole parts where tricks. there were like days of six bottles of water. (laughs) Um, But then there are parts where, you know, I've had friends listen to the book, you know, who are like, who are like, oh, you know, this part. And it's like, I, there were places where I could feel my voice fill up and then I would like pause and then restart and do Mm -hmm. it what I thought was cleaner. And then in the like producing editing process, I think some of those places, you know, they decided it sounded like better for the story to keep the, um, you know, places with so much emotion, you know, so it's, there's so many kind of levels of like editing, right. Of the story. Right. Oh, that is so interesting to me too. But, and it, the parts that you're crying and even after you've read it so many times is definitely the parts that readers relate to the most. It's a signal that, okay, I touched on a nerve here. Very relatable, very real and raw. I think that's exactly what the coach said. So please oh. it be your future. Now, are you going to do an audiobook as well? Yes. We're just trying to find somebody for Elizabeth Arden to read her. Yeah. Cause that's an interesting, my book is third person and also first person, which yeah. also was one of my concerns with it, that it could be really jarring, but yeah. I, I couldn't get into Liz's voice. I wasn't her. So it's me telling you, but yeah. yeah so I'll, I'll have to ask you for tips of the pacing and yeah. I'm going to remember that trick yeah. of the up for curiosity down for concern. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I love it. Well, what, do you think it is about food in particular Hmm. the idea of breaking bread sitting at a table with people it's so simple it's and i i really like the analogy of cooking and writing are very similar you start with a few ingredients and by the end you've created something from nothing and what do you think that is throughout the book and even throughout your life cooking in real life that has you've always come back to that you find brings people together why is it so, I think you said systems fail, but food is revolution, or your dad said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think because on some level, part of that is you, there's so much that you can't fix, mm-hmm. you know, that in, a, and in, in this context, right, uh, to bring it kind of out of the abstract and into the actual, mm-hmm. um, there's so much about these kids' lives that I couldn't, I don't feel like I could make a kind of meaningful, big picture kind of difference in the, all of the systems that are failing them, you know, healthcare, yeah. education, uh, you know, um, 
social service. I mean, so, so many, so many different the foster care, so many different systems. Um, but I could kind of make a meal once a week, you know, and that, that, that small thing, that kind of sharing, that passing, that agency of being able to like pick a thing to make and then the process of doing it and kind of delivering it and consuming it yeah. and, and sharing that space is real. Yeah. You know, and that's not, um, it's not life-changing, but it's day-changing, you know, and it's, and it's also necessary and possible, you know, mm. I think, um, there's sometimes it's hard to look at the brokenness of things and feel like, you know, what kind of a change can you make anyway? Yeah. Um, and that food, you know, you, everybody needs to eat, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that that's, you know, it's a starting place and it's also, a kind of world within itself, you know, yeah. the idea of feeding, you know, and I think, like I say in the afterward, I mean, I, I do think part of educational policy, which, you know, is my, my academic field, mm -hmm. um, you know, it is food, food programs. We've seen that in pandemic more, oh, um, yeah. in a more real way than, um, in many places people were, you know, or people are talking about it more widely now, um, than, kind of more generally before, you know, so, yeah. some people have also have always, you know, kind of championed free lunch programs and free breakfast programs mm -hmm. and acknowledge the relationship between um, fed bodies and successful kids, you know, yeah. um, in pandemic, like we saw when, when schools closed, yeah. the most immediate reasons or one of the most immediate impacts was a withdrawal of food from kids who counted on schools to provide them food, you know, and so, you know, schools in so many communities figured out ways to, you know, to kind of deliver meals in some places, mm -hmm. even before they really realized how to kind of hone, you know, uh, the, inst you know, instruction, you know, yeah. or, or actual schooling, you know, and I think, you know, I, I think they're, I think they're not related, you know, I think they're not unrelated rather. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true you know, I, I think that's true for all of our systems, you know, that yeah. feeding people and keeping people alive and nourished is part of, you know, is, is part of, you know, our community responsibility to each other, you I know. I completely agree. It's one of our basic human needs. It's shelter, food. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what I really loved though, about you, you could have gone and nourished and served and prepared the food as the, as the boys wanted you to yeah. kind of initially, like, can you just come a cooking club where you come in and you cook? But my, what I loved was just the nuance of, no, we're doing this together. And you could just see the confidence, the self pride that these boys got slowly week after week of it, it's such a small, it's like making your bed in the morning. It's a quick, small task, but you feel so validated. It's a quick daily habit that over time builds that confidence. And I just loved how that slowly came together and you can see the evolution in the boys. So I really commend you on that and making that part of the cooking club, even when they were fighting against you at the very beginning. <laughs> Well, because there is this idea, you know, there was also this kind of immediate sense that I, I knew that many of them were going to be aging out. And all I could think was, if you don't already know how to cook, then who teaches you how to cook? Yeah. You know, how do you learn? How to do you feed yourself? Feed yourself. Right. Exactly. And certainly and none of our meals were very, you know, were very gourmet. And in fact, I think one of my like worst reviews on Goodreads is like, it wasn't even good food that she was making, <laughs> you know, which is the, true. It's the not people behind their food. keyboards. It's like, oh, you're missing the context, the point here. <laughs> but it's true. There was, there was nothing elegant. You know, I, it, when my mom read it, you know, I gave it to my mom to read, I think 72 hours before my final um, draft. Was oh, finished. wow. And, uh, you know, and she said something about the food and she's like, and it, from what I could read, it was really, it was really just a lot of quesadillas. <laughs> it was a lot of quesadillas. Who doesn't love a quesadilla? But, you know, when the book, you know, when I started kind of posting on my, you know, tiny platform of seven people, um, one of the kids who, I mean, is now a full grown woman, um, but who I had babysat for when she was younger and um, helped her mom out when her, when her dad died. 
she messaged and she was like, this is when I said I was like doing this book that, you know, it was before, you know, anybody had kind of read anything mm -hmm. of it. And she like sent me this message on Instagram that was like, you know, um, I, you taught, you know, after my dad died, you made us quesadillas and you told me there was something that I should have to, I should be able to like make for myself. That was like quick and easy. And she's like, and I make quesadillas all the time. And every time I do, I think of you in my mom's kitchen being oh. like, if you like what this tastes like, then this is like an easy thing that you could make whenever you want it, you know? And when I got that, I know. I would ball. That is so special. That is, um, you know, I've been pushing a quesadilla agenda for a long time. Yeah. Know? Well, that's the thing. If you came in with gourmet five Michelin star, really complicated th food, th no one was going to do that. They, it's not nothing they want to eat and nothing they would have wanted to prepare. But uh, there's something in food that they enjoy eating. They got to pick the menu and it's something they actually would make later. It's realistic. Yeah. Would you ever come out with a cookbook yeah. after? Yeah. Well, so, you know, in my, in my first version of essays, you know, in my, in my first draft, every essay started with a, with a recipe, with a recipe. Yes. Um, but then when we talk about, you know, kind of marketing, you know, my agent was kind of like, well, they're not gourmet recipes and, and you're not really a chef, you know, so then we don't want people to think like, this book goes in the cookbook section, you know, so right. that if you want, you could think about, you know, is there one recipe you want to include or is there, are there two special recipes you want to include? You right. Know? And so I kind of broke those down into, um, you know, in some of the, in some of the chapters, in all of the chapters tried to use sensory images and some kind of like food choreography, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of keep that feel of cooking without, yeah providing uh what looked like a recipe like as if this is you know as if this is you know an exceptional recipe because even you know in my draft version I had my my cousin's recipe for brownies which were these like very elegant brownies that I mean are delicious she makes them I have made them we never made them at the house like the boys were never interested in like our prep brownies no, you, you had know? an hour to do it you know there's also this story about like taste and comfort you know yeah which I think is really beautiful there's so many nuances in it I love it well I'm really curious to know right now you're in the thick of the marketing the promotional mm -hmm. hat of being a writer which people yeah. if you're not a writer don't really understand they think you just the words flow you sit behind a keyboard and that's your day it's very romantic but really you're kind of an, an entrepreneur as well so you're in the thick of that and I'm my it's a two-part question how do you find that compared to the actual writing? And what is your day-to-day -day routine when you are writing? Like, do you, even now, are you waking up? Are you writing anything currently? Is it a lot of admin answering emails? When do you take a lunch break? What are you, what's your coffee situation in the morning? <laughs> I want to know it all. <laughs> no more coffee shops. Um, <laughs> the, um, the marketing piece, I I'm, I am not great at. Um, I wish I learned more about that sooner. You know, I wish I you know was thinking more about that sooner. I I really kind of you know I really kind of wasn't. I think I was like I it's going to come so naturally. Um, it, it's a very different thing. It's a very different thing to sell a mm -hmm. book and write a book, you know? Yeah. Um, right now I'm in the process of reaching out to bookstores and asking if they carry it and if they're doing in-person events and are they interested in signed book plates, you know, reaching out to podcasts, you know, like, are you, you know, here's how I think my work connects to like the stories you tell on this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a different, it's a different kind of, um, you know, it's a different kind of selling really. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm much better at the writing part than the selling part. You know, your, yeah. I mean, your Instagram is spectacular. You know, I would love to know how, you know, in, but, you. but six years ago, you had a sense of kind of social media, you know, like, like presence. world building. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like presence and, and world building. Right. And, yeah. and presenting um, yourself and your stories like in the you know in in that space and it's funny because now six years later Instagram is come kind of becoming a fossil in the social so I'm aging out of what is 
popular in terms of branding and everything. But no, I, I think, but for me, I think the most important part is having a really quality book. You, you can't market something that isn't a yeah. great, a well-written story. So you have the most important part dialed. <laughs> That's the key. Yeah. If anybody listening, writing a book, you have to write a really great book. Yeah. 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 Well, and and, then, you and I, I think you can't, like you said, they're two separate things and you can't, I don't think you can do them simultaneously. You know, I don't think you can do them simultaneously. I think you right, focus on writing the book mm -hmm. and then figure out like how to, the marketing, but it's good to think about. I think a lot of people also think once you sign with a big five publisher like Penguin, that there's a whole team there who is going to help you forever to promote and market this book. And that just isn't the case. They don't have the bodies. They don't have the staff to give you that much attention. You might have a three week blitz or campaign. They help you. And then the onus is really on the author to continue to shout from the rooftops about their work. So I think there people just assume, oh, because you have an in-house publicist or something, but really it's, we're the ones also reaching out to the bookstores, trying to get on the podcasts, being our own advocates. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I feel very grateful for, you know, for my team and I certainly, you know, do have a team and, you know, and right. And it's also important, you know, one of actually Christina Thompson was just saying the other day, you know, you're, 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 no one can sell your book like you can sell your book, you know, yeah. you have to be your own best advocate, you know. Yeah. And that's the, with the Instagram piece, sometimes I feel a little icky about the self-promotion of it and the kind of stylized branding of it and the colors but I read somewhere that it takes seven times for people to see something for them to act on it. So if they see the cover set, it's on the seventh or eighth time, they will actually purchase it. But it, I, I always strike the balance of wanting to be my authentic self, but people don't really care about my personal life. Now they just want to care about how do you write a book, writing tips, all of that kind of thing, which is great. So now I'm shifting into, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line of being authentic and sharing. So there's something, there's a person behind the brand, but then also being informational and giving people what they actually want. So I'm always struggling. So I'm happy you think it looks great because behind the scenes, I'm always second guessing myself. <laughs> And how many followers do you have? You have an insane number of followers. 11,000 now. I mean. But that's still a small platform in the publishing world, which is funny. I, mean. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm like 432. So 11,000. Oh, tremendous. I don't know if all of them are buying books though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then what is your day-to-day -day writing routine look like? Or when you were writing, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I would say I consider reading and walking part of my writing process, you know, if I'm kind of thinking about something and, and working through it. Um, I like to kind of have an idea in mind before I go for a long walk and then kind of pull it apart and like, you know, do that kind of ordering and then, you know, and then come back and sit down and kind of, you know, write through what I was thinking. Um, I like to write in the morning. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, and I mean, and, and also the afternoon, I always tell myself I'm going to write at night and I, I don't usually write at night sometimes. I mean, occasionally and occasionally in the summer or something, but that's really not my, my usual writing time, you know? Yeah. Um, and then are you an outliner? Do you sit down with research notes or you have cue cards taped to the wall or how do you... Yeah. So I, I have a lot of index cards. Yeah. So I, you know, when I was doing chapters... Um, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, when I was doing chapters, um, I should have like, do I have them in a place I could reach? Um, but I have, I have stacks and stacks of different, you know, kind of index cards that I would then kind of move around when I was figuring mm -hmm. out the order of chapters, like with key things or with the kids' names so that then it was like, okay, what's, where's the balance, you know, mm -hmm. the idea of kind of, um, you know, up chapters and down chapters, and then also the kind of chronology. And I, I like the, you know, I like the, I like the physicality, like the physicality. I like, I like being able to kind of write it out and yeah. then I like being able to move it around, you know, Same. Um, I, I don't have, you know, when people are like, Oh, you know, I'm horrified to tell you, I, 
have Scrivener, but I did not write this book using Scrivener. Um, maybe my whole life would be, maybe I would have been on a four year, you know, <laughs> instead of a six year editing track if I had Scrivener, I don't know. Um, but I, instead of my like stacks of index cards, I think I have, um, I bet I have nine binders of the book printed out um, oh. with, um, you know, with post-it notes, with color-coded post-it notes, um, with editing, yeah. um, in different, like brightly colored binders. So again, I like the like physical, you know, so I it's tangible you know, target, right. Exactly. And pick the most beautiful, like big binders that I was like, okay, this is something I can live with for the next month and a half, you know, it won't and be an eyesore and have, you know, and also like to kind of feel the physicality, you know, of the like book. Um, and then I have these, you know, and I have maps, I have a couple of different, um, you know, at, at a couple different periods, I made like big maps of the story. Um, and to, so that I could see the layout, you know, of the book. Um, now my next project is, will be my dissertation project. Um, and I'm in the research stage, um, not the, uh, you know, not, not the writing stage yet, or yeah. I have written, um, I, have written three articles, you know, that I think will be, you know, kind of part of the story. So I have, I do have like paper drafts and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, kind of folders and I haven't figured out my, my organization system for that yet. Um, book wise, I'm trying to do a couple of companion essays, you know, that I'm thinking going oh, into cool. the holiday season. Smart. Um, so that's the kind of, that's the writing, you know, those are the things that I'm, that I'm working on, um, you know, writing wise now more instant gratification doing articles like that than, well, not your dissertation, that is a marathon as well. Yeah, no, the, the dissertation will be a marathon. Um, the One of the articles that I, I think will, um, I'm not sure when it will be up, um, or one of the essays rather, is a cut chapter, is a chapter that was cut from the book that then, oh. you know, one of the ones that I was like, okay, fine, I'll cut it, but I'm gonna come back to it later. Um, and so then kind of brought that out of the, you know, out of the- The I trash. Never, I was gonna say trash, Louise, but <laughs> never put it in the trash bin. No. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I, I call it the word graveyard. And then I always go back yeah. to that folder. So it's still there. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. You didn't, you didn't kill your darlings. You I just, just going to say, we, you could do a whole podcast on killing your darlings and what that really means. Yeah. Um, right. In terms of like, what's too precious and then, and how do you, um, you know, do this like fierce justify, you know, like I, this, these are all of the reasons that this can't be, you know, that this can't be just discarded. And it's like, okay, well, if I'd answered all of those questions in the beginning, then probably it wouldn't have been discarded. No, but exactly. Also, um, but it also then it becomes a different thing, you know, mm -hmm. so then, you know, so then the, you know, what was a chapter in a bigger story, then, you know, how do you make it into a standalone? It has a second life, which I really love yeah. that recycling, I guess is the word. How many more years of your PhD do you have? Um, well, is that a big question? That's a bit of a question. I'm, I'm hoping to write most of it next year. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing. So that's your focus. No, you don't have a book on the horizon beyond no, that. So that. My dissertation will be, you know, I'm hoping to publish that as, as, a, as a trade book. Oh, cool. Oh my gosh. So, so that is your short-term, long-term vision for now. Yeah. And yeah. then do you want to be a career author beyond that? Te go back to teaching. What, what is your dream? Or maybe that's too lofty. I mean, we learned with COVID that you can plan and then God laughs. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I plan to keep writing, you mm -hmm. know, um, and Please I do for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's that's very kind. Um, and certainly I feel the same way. Um, the community of writers has been such, you know, is really such a, um, important discovery in this process, you know, I would say, oh, um, it's so, everything. Yeah, yeah. Writing is, I, it's lonely business. So to find people who yeah. understand and get it, it is really something I wasn't anticipating because I am very introverted and, but it's, I need it. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I totally agree. I was um, 
helping one of my sisters. I don't have any kids of my own and both mm-hmm. of my sisters have kids. And I was helping one of my sister's kids during Zoom with, you know, some of his writing stuff um, because his, you know, class had like very regimented, you know, assignments. And my sister was like, I can't really do Teddy's writing assignments. Can you <laughs> help Teddy and Abby with their writing. Um, and, you know, so one of the, you know, so he had to like write a story one week, you know, one Friday, then the next Friday he had to revise it. And so we're sitting there and he's like, I already did it. And I was like, I know, but what revision means is that, you know, you're looking at a thing that you already have. That's Mm -hmm. a good thing. And you think about how can I make this better? Mm -hmm. And he like read through the whole thing intently. And he was like, I think it's already good. (laughs) I'm like, Teddy, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you multiple stories. (laughs) I was like, you know how long I've been revising my book? And he was like, no. And I was like, I think I've revised, you know, I think I've done, I'm I'm trying to think of the number, Ted. I was like, but I I think I've been revising it for five years. And he was like, what? Like this is why they're, you know, kind of teaching. You know, he's horrified that he's got to change three sentences around. You know? he, go, he goes, "I already wrote it amazing. I love his confidence." And it's true. No, I well, and I, I totally relate. You know, like yeah. editing. Like, did you think I needed editing? Yeah, um, and know. this is a beautiful writing. What do you mean? Right, right, right. And then he liked, you know, changed to like and for like a comma, and I was like, okay, we're gonna have to let's think of another thing. You know? Those are cosmetic little uh, copy edit changes. Right. We got to go more developmental here. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. But it's funny, right? At every level of the idea. It makes you know, me happy to hear that they're teaching that though. Exactly. That, I don't, I don't think I got taught that in English class. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think he was in third grade, you know, and I, I was, so, I was like, this is really great. And he's like, I already did it already. And it's like, <laughs> you're going to be thanking your teachers when you're in high school yeah. and you don't feel like you can, and your teachers are going to be thanking your teachers when you don't turn in a first draft as a final thing. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Oh, that's awesome though. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of the last thing, because there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast are writers have book ideas, but don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So what is your advice of just how to start? if you are, you know, you want to write a book, what is the next step in the process for both you and I planning and having that blueprint has been really helpful. So what would you say? Yeah. Um, Well, I think my first piece of advice would be that I think a lot of people think that publishing happens to you, Um, you know, and I would say if you're not, if you're not a celebrity, Um, or, you know, some kind of big CEO, like it doesn't, nobody's knocking on your door asking for your book, like you have to make it happen. Right. So then, okay. So then once you know that you want to do it and that you have to make it happen, um, then you have to locating the story, I think is the most important part. And you, you were saying this before, and I know you've said this before, um, and focusing on the story that you're telling, um, I do think that reading is part of writing, you know, Mm -hmm. find books you love and reread books you love to kind of think about why you love them as books Mm -hmm. and kind of look at the kind of, look at books in an instrumental way, you know, like what's the shape of them, right? That gives you a different sense of how, how to take your own writing to the next level and how to kind of think about um, storytelling, right? And what, what, what is successful, um, and then, and keep writing, you know, I think in the beginning, those are the things, find your story, read other people's stories that you love, you know, fall in love with stories, and really look at books, like products, and try to figure out how you can craft the same thing, the same as like, if you were looking at a really beautiful cake to bring us back to like a food, you know, kind of like, you would think like, oh, like, could I make that myself? Like, how would I make that myself? You know, um, I think that, you know, I think that 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 is that is part of the process. It's not, I mean, writing is organic, making, you know, putting sentences together, but but in terms of the shaping, that doesn't just come. It's a it's a craft that we have to hone, mm-hmm. you know, by borrowing from each other, by consulting, by you know, revising and sharing, um, and certainly reading. 
um, and continuing to write, you know, I mean, it's like you said, it's lonely, you know, and it can mm -hmm. be tedious, you know, and it's sometimes not great, you know, yeah. um, and, and the way through it is through it, you know, it's like to <laughs> kind of keep, keep writing, write favorite sentences, right. You know, kind of ideas. Don't worry about, um, I mean, and I say this, like, a thing that I don't always do is like spend so much time on one paragraph and then keep scrolling back up to the top of it to reread read. paragraph, right? And be like, oh, this is, is going to be a great thing, you know, or getting stuck and then going back to like your favorite part to just kind of keep like reread that part. Just There's to a good sure nugget in there. Remember, right? Exactly, exactly. Which that's important too, you know, in terms of like a, a touch point, but um, I don't have any fitness memoir, you know, metaphors, uh, <laughs> but I'm sure there are some, you know, <laughs> yeah. give some fitness, you know, metaphors for like building those muscles, right? And like kind of, you know, like it's an endurance sport. I would say writing is an endurance sport more than. Oh, anything, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's discipline. It's sitting there even if you don't want to write, and it's it's pretty simple, just doing the thing. But we it we get so scared of the blank page and fear of failure and we get so caught up in all these other things but it's really just coming back I think it's Neil Gaiman he says for his writing sessions he can either do two things he can stare at the wall or he can write and eventually staring at the wall gets to be pretty boring so writing seems to be the more enjoyable alternative and that's what it is it's there were so many distractions in the world there's always going to be a dinner party that you want to go to or you want to scroll on inter on Facebook for hours there's something always going to be pulling at your attention that you want to do more maybe than sitting in a room and writing, but that's what it takes. It's the action of doing it. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, along those lines, I think Pat Conroy said, you know, in a kind of writing talk, people always ask me how to be a better writer and I tell them bum glue. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I like that. It's, it's, it's a little bit less, um, you know, floral, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's also true. I mean, I, I think about that a lot. Like I think about that when I'm doing, you know, kind of whatever work that it's like, okay, like think about the bum glue, like, you yeah. just have to, like sit here and sit in it, you know, in order to make it happen. You know, it's not, I think the first sentence, I don't know who said, um, the first sentence falls from the ceiling, you know, and the rest of it you have to work at. Oh, I couldn't agree more yet. I'm going to remember bum glue from here on out. That is my new I'll favorite thing. Quote. I'll find the, I'll find I love the that. That's so memorable. It's things like that that just stick with you. Oh, not trying to be punny there, but <laughs> sticks with you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. Well, where can everyone find you and purchase a copy of Homemade? Now that you have this big platform, everyone can find you online everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, my homemade is available wherever books are sold, you know, including the Penguin Random House yep, website um, or bookshop or Amazon or Target or Barnes and Noble. Um, and I do have a website, lizfrancishauk.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Liz Hauk Writes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really loved catching up with you and chatting about your first book. Congratulations. And to you, Louise, we did it. Yeah. We did it. Yay. We did it. <laughs>